welcome to the Advance Your Art podcast, where we talk about the journey from artist to entrepreneur and everything in between. You've worked hard to hone your craft. Now take it to the next level with tips, techniques, strategies, and routines used by successful artists to grow their businesses and careers. Now, let's get started and have some fun with your host, Yuri Cataldo. Tatiana, welcome to the show. How are you today? Very well. Thanks for having me today, Yuri. Of course. My absolute pleasure. Uh, thank you so much for chatting with me. I appreciate it. So for the audience who is not familiar with who you are and your work, how do you describe yourself and what you do? Um, okay. Well, I, ha- I do a lot of different things, but first and foremost, I consider myself a singer, songwriter, and an artist. Um, I think all of my work is really defined by an interest in helping mankind. So <laughs> While I started out doing uh, music, I've uh, obviously expanded into the cryptocurrency space. I have a couple different podcasts. One is called The Tatiana Show, which is more crypto and politics focused. And then I have a new show that I started this year with a couple of my girlfriends in the space called Proof of Love. And so we talk about relationships, growing your emotional intelligence, uh, all different kinds of personal development stuff. And then I also have a marketing and PR company called Crypto Media Hub. And I'm also a public speaker and I continue to perform around the world. So recording my fourth album, but also going around and talking about uh, crypto at the same time. Wow. Congratulations. So you're a really busy person. How do you, so how do you manage your schedule to get all of this done? Because I I can't imagine that it's an easy thing to balance the multiple shows you're doing with a prolific music career and company. I wing it. Um, sometimes, you know, I wish I was a little bit more organized. I have a book called, uh, you know, the art of getting things done or whatever, and I haven't got it done yet. So, uh, I mean, I I constantly am sort of reading ways to be more organized, but to be honest, my life kind of really is very, it kind of flows. I don't really have much of a daily schedule. Um, I don't really uh, put too many limits on when I shouldn't be working, which I'm trying the past year to get a little bit better at, you know, setting up boundaries so I'm not working 24-7. But, um, yeah, I mean, a lot of the things that I do sort of feed into one another. Yeah. Um, And they're all sort of driven by that, I don't know, I guess that activist heart. So it's easy to get it done, even though sometimes it can be a little bit stressful. Yeah, yeah, I got you. Uh, Work that you truly love. That's fantastic. So let's let's start a little bit from the beginning. So you went to Berkeley uh, for music. Why did you initially? So first off, why did what was what did you initially get involved in music for? And then why Berkeley? Um, so as long as I can remember, I always wanted to do music. My mom she had a lot of really great taste in music, so she would play uh, music by the '60s and '70s singer songwriters that sort of helped uh, with the cultural revolution here in the U.S. And I remember hearing uh, Cat Stevens once and he was doing Peace Train. And I thought to myself, wow, you can use um, music to convey an idea and more importantly, to move culture in one way or the other for hopefully in a more just direction. Mm -hmm. And so that really stuck with me. Um, In high school, I read a lot of dystopian novels. So 1984, Brave New World, Fahrenheit 451. Uh, all different kinds of stuff like that, which of course um, had me a little bit fearful of the future. Also, um, 
you know, my mom, she came from Poland and Poland is a communist country when she was growing up there. So I remember going to her and saying, mom, you know, why don't we put all of our money together in a pile and everybody could take what they want. And that sounds like a great idea. And she said, no, that's communism. Go back to the drawing board. <laughs> so, uh, so I did. And um, when uh, high school kind of finished up, it was around the time that Britney Spears and all these kind of porno pop stars were really becoming more popular. It was not really music that I could support or found any interest in. So I um, delved into a lot of older music by going to Berklee College of Music. It was, okay. you know, the number one contemporary music school in the country. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, I had that prestige. Uh, but to be honest, I think that music school is a little bit of a waste of money. And overall, I think the music industry is uh, pretty screwed up. Mm -hmm. So while I don't regret going there, and it certainly opens up a lot of doors for me, I don't think that it's really necessarily worth the expense. And so if there's uh, somebody who's interested in going into music, I don't really necessarily think that, you know, Berkeley right now for four years is uh, $300,000. Yeah. Um, and so when you get out of school, you'll be making $10 an hour if you're lucky for the first five to 10 years. So the math on that just doesn't work out. And also, you know, it's also what you put into the school. I think that when mm -hmm. I was at Berkeley, you know, I was reeling from my parents' divorce. It was my first time out. I don't know if I necessarily took advantage of it as much as I, I should have. And also, um, yeah, I just think, you know, music school is a weird concept because there's somebody grading you. There's somebody mm -hmm. deciding whether or not your music is worthwhile. And I don't think that that's really the best environment for all artists. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, it is somewhat, I guess, like a weird perversion of the free market. but I don't know. I just think that artists are better maybe in different environments and maybe a lot of that uh, intense school isn't really the best thing. I know a lot of people who went to Berkeley and then never wanted to play their instrument again. Right. So it's a mixed review. I think a lot of the foreign students took advantage of it a lot more so than the American students. Sure. So if you were to do that again and have the opportunity, either go into Berkeley or go another route, would you take the other route? And if you would, what route would you do instead of going to school? Well, I mean, my family spent around $100,000 for me to go to Berkeley. What okay. could you do with $100,000? A lot, you yeah. know? Um, yeah, I just, I, I don't really think that it was for me. I, I mean, you make a lot of good contacts. People think that you're impressive because you went to Berkeley, but I don't know. You know, I, I mean, if I had, if I had that money, I could promote a record, I could record a record, I could promote a record and, and still have money left over to live off of, um, or I could just buy Bitcoin and that would have been better. Yeah. <laughs> so. right. Sure. Okay. So let's, so I guess that leads in my next question on that is on the cryptocurrency space, because you're heavily in, involved in that now, what made you originally interested in Bitcoin? Um, so in 2011, I found out about the Federal Reserve, and before that, I had been politically active because, you know, that's what you do if you have an interest in changing the world, you become politically active, which um, sort of lost its luster uh, when I saw what happened in the 2012 presidential campaign. Um, I was a big supporter of Ron Paul because I knew about the Federal Reserve, so Dennis Kucinich, he was out, Ron Paul was in, and um, and. It was an amazing opportunity because there weren't a lot of singer-songwriters lending their voice to that. Uh, there was Jordan Page, and he was really helpful in terms of getting me out there and supporting me. Um, I took a lot of inspiration from Amy Allen, 
and Amy Allen is, uh, you know, famous for, for supporting Ron Paul, but she also had some bad things happen to her along the way. She had been beaten, and some people question as to what happened in that regard, but I decided to take up the mantle of the message of freedom, and so I put out my album Love and Liberty, which had a lot of songs kind of geared toward that community, and around that time, I was um, doing an event down in Tampa uh, that was supported by Tony Gallippi and Stephen Pair of BitPay. So they sponsored my performance, and then they came to New York to tell me all about Bitcoin. And what was really interesting about that was that even though I was, you know, willing to stand in the streets holding up a sign and the Fed, all this stuff, uh, I still couldn't really understand why I would need Bitcoin. I thought, why would I need alpaca socks? Clearly, I had never touched alpaca socks. They're very soft, very nice. Uh, <laughs> curious feel. But um, so, you know, I, I bought some Bitcoins at $11, and I didn't buy a lot because, I mean, how much money could I possibly have as an artist? Um, but when I saw it going up, okay, that was definitely, you know, a little bit interesting, right? Yeah. Um, but really, when I was uh, driving with Jeffrey Tucker, he's a famous economist, um, like Austrian economist. He was working with B at the time, and he kind of explained to me how Bitcoin could change the world and it gave me a different vision and it reminded me that okay here I am a person that hates the Federal Reserve and I still can't get behind this we're gonna need some better sales tools so I wrote the Bitcoin jingle as a way to lure people in and if you listen to the song sure it's a jingle it's kind of silly but the message is is it's pretty staunchly anti-war I mean it opens mm -hmm. up with I didn't want to give any of my money to a nation based on war yeah. it's a statement about the U.S. Um, and really about any nation, because that's generally what, what they're good for. I look at the 20th century, um, more people died at the hands of government significantly than, you know, regular murderers. I mean, they, they attribute over 300 million deaths in the 20th century to governments. So I'll take my chances with the axe murders personally. So, um, yeah, so I got really into Bitcoin and I debuted my song at the uh, Latin American Bitcoin conference in 2013, which was uh, in December. So it was, you know, peak, the first peak of Bitcoin. Right. And then, um, and then I just sort of, you know, found myself immersed in the crypto space. I became good friends with Adam B. Levine from Let's Talk Bitcoin. We ended up working on uh, the world's first artist cryptocurrency, Tatiana Coin, which is a token, a meta token, really, because it's uh, built with counterparty on top of Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. uh, Ethereum was not an option then and nothing was really being tested out like people were still calling it Bitcoin 2.0 when in reality these were almost like the first ICOs and the reason why I did that was because I had seen a lot of problems in the music industry. After Berkeley I had started managing different recording studios and it was great to be in such an amazing environment but at the same time I couldn't really afford to record there. None of the really good artists could afford to record there because the music industry was set up where you know, now the new normal was like a Britney Spears type artist, which is right. certainly not me. And I thought that we were really losing something as a society because of that, because, you know, that music that did the pushback in the 60s and 70s really shaped the world that we live in today. And it wasn't because government was so kind and they decided to start giving us things. It was because they had the pressure from the public. So when you created Tatiana Coin, it was a little bit like a Kickstarter model. Mm -hmm. So if you donate to me to you know, for my album on Kickstarter, you donate $50, I send you a t-shirt, adios, that's it. But with a Tatiana coin, now you would have $50 worth of Tatiana coin that you could use in my store, you could use it at any time. Additionally, <clears throat> you could 
give the coin to a friend or to your mom or to whomever. And that would basically incentivize them to when they got the coin to get a crypto wallet. Cause how else are they going to hold their coin? So right. now you don't have to explain to them about the federal reserve. And now you basically snuck a Bitcoin wallet into their pocket and they're just thinking about music. And then on the other side with uh, social media platforms, they were very helpful for independent artists, you know, the do it yourself model. Yay. Except then you have to do it all yourself. And if you notice from Friendster to MySpace to YouTube to Facebook, after some time, you realize that you're actually building up an audience for the platform to monetize mm -hmm. and you don't actually have control over your contact with your fans uh, with Facebook being, I guess, the most egregious example where they have tons of censorship, um, advertising in order to reach your fans, uh, selective viewing of different content. I mean, the whole thing is very manipulated. Um, so, you know, that, that doesn't work for an artist long term. And so by creating an, a Tatiana coin, now I have a permanent way of connecting with my fans for as long as they hold the token. Um, however, when we built the token, building the token takes five minutes, it's really easy. But uh, it's almost like having a car without any roads. Okay. And so Adam and I figured out after we launched the coin, you know, we raised about, I don't know, $20,000 or something. And I used that to fund my album. But really what we needed was an infrastructure where the coin could function. Okay. So what we did was uh, Adam started working on a company called Tokenly, and then we made a platform called Token.fm, which is a music platform. And so the music platform allows you to uh, create your own digital assets. So it doesn't necessarily need to be a Tatiana coin. It could be a fan token. It could be an access token. It could be an album ticket. Mm -hmm. But basically bringing the concept of finite back into the world of digital, which is infinitely copyable, which is why sort of underwhelming to go on Spotify if you're a super fan because like, okay, great. I have access to the same thing that everybody else wants. And I believe that artists and fans want to be connected more deeply. So by having the artist coin, we would also open up a messaging layer so they could message with me directly based on their threshold of coins. I could put out uh, content exclusively, sort of like a Patreon model. And uh, then we also have the streaming side where you're paying artists 20 times more than what they would be getting paid at a regular streaming site. You're mm -hmm. also incentivizing the fans by monetizing their playlist. So let's say you have a playlist on token.fm and I'm one of the artists and you have a certain threshold of listeners, then that means that you also get a cut of it. So it's good for everybody involved. And it also allows for the typical things that you see being uh, worked on with blockchain technology, for example, registering your work, big deal. Yeah, you can register your work and also splits, which are automatically put in, which are also pretty easy to do. Mm -hmm. um, I find it a little bit boring when I hear music companies just only focusing on that because there's just so much more I think that you can get out of the experience. Um, and then on the music side, uh, we took the money that I raised and I put out my third album. And so I'm working on my fourth right now, but the third album um, was called Keep the Faith. Okay. And one of the songs that I put on it was the Silk Road song. Now, some of your listeners may be familiar with uh, the Silk Road, some maybe not. It's a bit of a shit show, for lack of a better term, in terms of a court case. I mean, it's really, really messy. But what I learned getting uh, familiar with the case from both Ross's mother, Lynn Ulbricht, and also becoming friends with Ross, visiting him personally many times in the prison, uh, the, the case was not everything that it appeared to be on the surface. Um, there was a lot of corruption. Uh, there's a lot of political motivation for creating the Silk Road, the idea that we own our bodies, no one should be able to tell us what to put in and out of them. Um, mm -hmm. You know, all this kind of stuff that really is not touched on when you hear all the salacious uh, headlines. 
So I wrote a Silk Road song in order for people to become a little bit more open-minded and maybe a little bit more awake to the fact that Ross is only the tip of the iceberg in terms of the drug war victims uh, that are around the world. And so um, Ross did a picture of me while in prison, while well, he's still in prison, double life was 40 years for a nonviolent yeah. crimes. Um, he drew a photo of me from a photo that a, that a friend had drawn and I used that as my album cover. This is a birthday present, but I thought what better way to sort of bring attention to this and say, look, if I was signed to a major record label, would I be able to have this album cover done by some jail guy? I mean, maybe not. Maybe, and, yeah. and also, that's my prerogative as an artist. And while commercialism is important, you also need to kind of meet the needs of the fans. And I think that with an artist point, you can kind of bring the artist and the fans together and have that base layer secured. And then if you want to work with other, um, with other aspects of the music industry, which you should because you can't do it all yourself, right. um, that's available to you. But the center point to me that's most important to preserve is that artist and fan relationship. And yeah. so that's what we worked on with the, with the coin. The coin. Okay. Excellent. Wow. This is your, I mean, the, the story here is, is quite fascinating on, on how this worked out. Um, and obviously, you know, the Tati and the coin I'm guessing has evolved from your initial conception to what's happening right now. What, I guess, so where do you see the future of the, the Tatiana coin right now? Or is it going to be kept kind of where it's at and then you'll develop something else beyond that? Well, I mean, Tatiana coin in the way that I envision it is very difficult to implement with today's um, legal framework. Okay. And also because we need the platform, you know, the platform is built, we're currently fundraising for it. So mm -hmm. It's not exactly as easy as in 2017 when there was the big ICO boom. We were advised at the time because we were going to do an ICO too, but our attorneys were like, eh, not such a good idea. And, you know, when I think about Tatiana Coin, while I think of it right now as just like an artist collectible for my fans to support me, mm -hmm. the vision is really to have that interaction, which is in, like, which is empowered by the platform. But also if you eventually have a lot of different artists that are trying something like this out, I'd love to be able to open it up to a pool of investors. But the problem with investing in a single artist is that single artist's success is basically like one in a billion, right? Super right. difficult to pull off. Um, and so if you did it in bundles, for example, if you had like a bundle of 50 artists or 10 artists or whatever it is, I think that that might be a little bit more easy um, to invest in. But then you also need the volume of different coins to play against each other eventually could I see an artist coin market fluctuating the same way any kind of other exchange would? Of course. But I think that that's really far off. Um, in the interim, what I'd really like to see is that investment opportunity in a way where it's valuable for the investor, where they're not just doing it as a vanity project mm -hmm. and where it actually can provide some meaningful support for the artist. Because, you know, one of the things that is crummy about a crowdfunding campaign is that it's dependent on if your friends have money. And if you live in the ghetto, well, guess what? You don't have much ability to, to garner that support. Um, so if you can see it as more of a commercial investment on the investor side, if you can figure out a way to make that actually useful for them, I think it's a really fun investment class. Um, but I don't think that we're there yet. And also, you know, you have to be really careful with artists uh, doing coins because they could accidentally be a security. And then next thing you know, the SEC is knocking on your door and you're like, I just want to make music. Ah! You know, and, and that's not a good, um, that's not really a good aesthetic for the crypto community. Right. But I do think that having more artists involved and having them understanding the benefit of this technology beyond just to themselves, but to humanity 
mm -hmm. would be a really great way for that message to get out in an authentic way. Um, sure. Right now you have a lot of people talking about Bitcoin, but when you have an artist communicating an idea, you have an automatic relationship with your fans. It's really hard to replicate in just like your day to day. Mm -hmm. And so if we can leverage that trust that fans have, you know, artists are great messengers for this. I, I say this all the time. Bitcoin is more rock and roll than rock and roll. I mean, it's really a big disruptor. <clears throat> so I hope that other people will take advantage of it. Yeah. So if the, um, so there are a lot of musicians who do listen to this, <laughs> this podcast, if, they're interested in, in learning more because obviously this is a, a newer kind of concept and maybe they had not thought about this as a way to monetize their their music. How do you recommend they get started and and work with you on this? Um, sure. Well, I mean, they could go to token.fm and sign up there. Um, I think that bar a funding of a program, it's really kind of early for people to be taking advantage of it um, because sure. you can't get that full level of experience. That mm -hmm. being said, we've um, done a token.fm like white label version. So artists can put it in on their back end, And so they can start accepting crypto for their, uh, for their work, setting different pricing, having different kinds of interactions with their fans that they weren't able to do before. And that's not dependent on the platform. Okay. So I think that the concept of a white label um, inversion of what we've been doing is, is something that we've been playing with a little bit more lately um, because it doesn't really uh, require the platform to be fully built out and having tons and tons of people on it in order to give value to the fans. Sure. So at the end of the day, the fan wants access to you, not to like 20 other people. Maybe they do, but you want them, you know, shell off the goods for you. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Okay, good. So, okay. Also along this way, you've, you have created Crypto Media Hub and so what was that like creating it and why did you choose to also start this this agency? Um, sure, well, I picked the name because it was pretty neutral and I was in a bit of a pickle when I came up with the company. So I had been working with uh, Bitcoin Magazine and I was doing a tour around Australia and New Zealand. I was traveling with Andreas Antonopoulos and Pamela Morgan. We were creating this great video content. It's gonna be so wonderful mm -hmm. and then uh, they fired everybody because they were having a hard time closing the sale of Bitcoin magazine from one party to another. And so they basically shut us down and it was very sudden and I was stranded in Australia and I thought to myself, well, then I better find something new to do with my time. And, um, and so I basically, uh, created it as a media buying company. So I didn't know that this was a, a thing that exists because, you know, I had a music business background, but. What I noticed was when people were asking me for advertising options, we didn't always have the right, um, the, the right things that they would really need in order to bring their product to market. For example, mm -hmm. it would be like a company that we didn't work with that type of company. And so what I ended up doing was creating relationships with all the different media outlets in the crypto space and then offering it to advertisers just as a service here, I'll help tell you how to spend your advertising money. And then I would get, a small kickback from the media outlets because I was serving as outside sales. And then the advertiser would basically save time and money working with me and it just didn't cost them anything additional. Um, so it was a nice model, but we've sort of evolved into different things. Um, and it's constantly evolving. You know, um, I have white label teams that I work with. I have people that I bring in, people that I work with on a daily basis. So it's kind of evolving. Mm -hmm. But um, so predominantly we focused on PR and marketing we also do a lot of things with events. Um, and like most recently I did an event in New York over consensus 
and that was a music and comedy event that was really fun and something a little bit different for the community. So constantly staying busy. I do a lot of advising um, with different projects as well. So um, yeah, Crypto Media Hub's there and it allows me to do some of my more creative stuff. And I really like working with other companies in this space. Although I will say that that can get a little bit problematic because you don't mm -hmm. have control over their output and that could, you know, accidentally have a bad um, reflection on me if I sure. can't control all the things, you know? Yeah, sure, sure. <laughs> so with, with um, what you're working on, I guess, in a couple of different spaces from the artist side and then also the advertising side, there is... You know, obviously, one of the big topics right now in, in this space is, is adoption and, and why more companies don't accept certain coins and, and when can it be more mainstream. In your experience, how do you see that road coming along more easily? Like, how do you see crypto adoption, or at least whatever you, you want to define that, coming along so that artists and other organizations can actually take advantage of it and, and not feel like a foreign topic? I think we just need more time. I mean, people are definitely getting used to the concept of Bitcoin. People are getting used to the concept of blockchain. I think it's just a matter of time and messaging. You know, the more people that you have that speak like English and not just tech, I think that's always helpful. Sure. Uh, I love seeing more women getting involved in this space. I always say women are natural communicators and, um, and are oftentimes in charge of the household finances. Mm -hmm. So turning this a little bit from, uh, I don't know, some people think it's a male-focused technology, but I don't. I think that there's a lot of opportunities for a lot of different people to get out there. So um, sharing those stories, I think, is really important. Um, that's what I've kind of focused on uh, a lot is just kind of Bitcoin in real life. Mm -hmm. But it is going to take a while, and that's okay, too. You know, it gives me more time to hodl. <laughs> Definitely. All right. So with, with everything that you've done and experienced so far um, over your very interesting journey, what would you say has been the best advice that you've ever received? Buy Bitcoin. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, seriously, if I did that yeah. with take any kind of investment or thing that I'm like, oh, I should do this thing. No, all yeah. of the answers just go, go back to buy Bitcoin. Just send your money. <laughs> I know that's sort of anti the, the message of my song. You know, use Bitcoin whenever you pay. No, yeah. Bitcoin yeah. whenever you save. I'm changing it around. <laughs> um, no, I mean, I, I don't know. Uh, all joking aside, um, yeah. I don't know. I mean, there's a lot of things that I attribute to where I am today. And I think mm -hmm. that is really important. You know, just being able to get back up and, and deal with it. Um, also feel your feelings. I think mm -hmm. it's important to feel what you're feeling. Nice people, they try and suppress you. And I don't know why that is, but I don't care for it. I think it's yeah. good, you know, if, you, if you're feeling something like, my gut is usually right. Mm -hmm. And anytime I don't listen to my gut, I usually regret it. So I don't know. I mean, it's a balance as you get older in general to be able to listen to yourself and then to also know when yourself is kind of talking you into the wrong direction. So mm -hmm. I don't know. Not the best advice, but I'm going to stick with my original <laughs> answer. Bye, Bitcoin. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's fantastic advice. So actually with your advice, since you're somebody who did get get in earlier when the price was was much cheaper, now let's say people who are just experiencing it, it's you know somewhere in the eight thousand mark. Is that like do you regularly try to, you know, buy in little bits at, at a time? If or how, I had any cash, now? I would spend yeah. it all on Bitcoin. That's all I care about. <laughs> like, come on, it's like a golden, you know. 
pot at the end of the tunnel or whatever. That's what I yeah. want. I want the pot of gold, you know. Um, yeah, I think, I, I mean, what else are you going to spend your money on? Yeah. Jewelry? Clothes? You don't need those things. You've got like a couple t-shirts, you're fine. Just buy more Bitcoin. Eventually, it'll be much better. Sure. Okay. <laughs> Excellent. So if the uh, so if the listeners would, would like to get a hold of you, um, see more of your work, <laughs> or potentially get in, in touch with you, where is the best place they can go to do that? Sure. There's a few different places. So thetatianashow.com is one of my podcasts. Proofoflovecast.com is the relationship podcast. It's been mm-hmm. really a lot of fun. Uh, TatianaMoreau's.com is where people can find all my music and they can support me um, on there and uh, CryptoMediaHub.com. Plus, I'm on Twitter, Queen Tatiana, and I'm on YouTube and all the other places, stream it and stuff like that. So come around, <laughs> come say hi. Perfect. I'll I'll put the links to those in the show notes so people can click right through. Great. It's great. Awesome. Well, Tatiana, thank you so much. This has been absolutely a, a pleasure. Thanks so much. I enjoyed myself. Have a nice day. Bye. Thanks. Bye. You too. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Advance Your Hour podcast. If you like this episode, please go into iTunes and give us a five-star rating. And while you're there, hit the subscribe button so that every single time I release a new episode, it will go directly to you without even thinking about it. If you're interested in hearing older episodes, please go to AdvanceYourArt.com where you can find the catalog of everything I've done so far, as well as contact information and projects I'm working on. Thank you again, and have a great day.